0: Content warnings for this epilogue include death of loved ones, grief, complex and complicated relationships, romance, references to sexual entanglements, and fantasy violence. Epilogues Part 8, Dewey Quirk The year is... well. Time is a funny thing, isn't it? All you know, Dewey is that you lived a good life as much as you could. And in the end, you were surrounded by friendship and family and love. And now we find you in the beyond, in that last resting place all paragons and keepers go to before you're finally ready for her. Before you're ready for Shepard to usher your souls into the quiet Loving arms of the void, of oblivion and salvation, but only when you're ready. And you, Dewey, you are not quite ready for that. Your bubble in the beyond is bathed in bright, gleaming mist, the color of clouds shot through with sunshine. The smell of fresh air fills this endless space, and Galtanger's Tanger's warmth suffuses every single feather upon your body. Here, you have everything and anything you could ever need and ask for. A seaside cottage with Uhanian waves lapping against a sandy nebalian shore, a workbench perched upon luscious green grass, a kitchen perennially stocked with fresh ingredients and a pantry full of your favorite food. There's something else here too, something that wasn't in your bubble when you arrived, but that you built with your own hands after feeling like something in your beyond was amiss. The observation deck is made of wood as far as we can tell, and extends past the gently lapping water like a dock, eager to embrace the hull of a ship. At the end of this observation deck, the water bleeds and enters into this ever-present mist that marks the boundaries of your beyond. Of course, You have your theories that what you see is only what you see, and that the real beyond, if there even is a real beyond, is beyond even your perception as a paragon. But nothing about this feels deceitful. In fact, it all feels so real, so right, so you. Dewey. We find you at the edge of this observation deck, bathed in the glowing fog of the beyond. Why don't you tell us, what do you look like and how are you trying to peer past this mist?
1: I think Dewey is wearing a fresh new pair of cargo shorts. Uh, in this in this reality, they don't get dirty, they don't get uh, holes in them like they used to. And for that, he's grateful. Um, <laughs> Uh, he's wearing a soft floral shirt, button-up shirt, that's uh, made of some light silky material. Um, he's got big flip-flops on his feet. Uh, very vacation dad. Uh, <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, my God!
1: <laughs> you asked for this. Um, and he takes a couple steps out towards the edge of the deck. And he's done this many days in the past, um, just sort of spent hours out here trying to see if he can gaze past the fog at the end of his line of sight, um, waiting for who knows what to come next. Um, It's not an impatient sort of waiting, it's a anticipation, something that he looks forward to.
0: Mm. And Dewey, I think at the end of this talk. You're not alone. Next to you, sitting at the very edge of the deck, is a demon. Not just any demon... A dog-headed demon wearing a floral collared shirt that's kind of unbuttoned, like the top couple buttons are unbuttoned and the rest of it is like tucked into these like high-waisted trousers um, that are actually cut off at the knee because the myriad is dangling his paw feet uh, in the calm waters all around you and kind of just lazily splashing his paws around. Uh, and the lucent fog that's swirling all around you kind of sizzles upon touching his shoulders and turns kind of black and miasmic and ever changing where it makes contact with him. And the myriad glances away from the sizzling fog and looks up at you with this kind of like devilish smirk on his lips. Dewey? Who are you peeping on this time, you delicious little creep?
1: Okay, it's not like that and I've told you that. Multiple times. Don't make it like that, please.
0: I'm not making it weird. You're making it weird. by thinking it's weird. I like creeping.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I should have figured. Uh, just, just my friends. You know. You know them.
0: Ah, yes, yes. Your friends. Your friends. Your loved ones. I don't have anyone like that on the now, so I'm happy to just watch your doobie TV.
1: I guess if you really don't have anyone down there, it's, I mean, you're welcome to share.
0: Uh, and that devilish smirk slips a little, and he blinks, and a kind of, like, big-eyed look comes across his dog-like face for half a second, like a very, like, oh, like a soft look almost, and then he, like, v- masks it very, very quickly with another smirk. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right, fine.
1: Maybe I'll snatch
0: a little bit of love off your plate for myself this time, too.
1: You know, this time around I don't I don't think I mind too much. <laughs> There's more than enough to go around.
0: Oh, you! You turn me on to these floral shirts. They are quite nice, I have to admit, very silky smooth against my fur and skin. You might turn me on to this whole love thing too. I don't know. Love and pain. Same sides on a coin all that
1: you've taught me a lot too i'm not gonna say you've turned me on to things because that i'm not gonna say it um
0: (sighs) you've gotten sharper you've gotten sharper since i started hanging around you fine 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 what are you doing all the way over there come over here and the myriad like holds out a, a pod hand and gestures for you to sit next to him
1: And Dewey, I think stubbornly, uh, sits where he is a couple feet away and then slowly shifts over inch by inch.
0: Oh my god. That's so cute. Begrudgingly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the myriad lets out like a bark of laughter. (laughs) Uh, No wonder he didn't get any with Zephyr. You gotta be a lot more confident than that. And he shifts all the way over and bumps your hips together.
1: Okay, if we're going to be watching this together, no comments on my former love life, okay?
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Fine, fine, no comments on your former love life. I promise. Though you do notice that uh, when he raises his paws to swear this, he quickly dips one behind his back when he says, I promise, and then lifts it back up. Uh, (laughs) And at this point, the fog in front of the two of you, it swirls, it swirls, it swirls, it, it thins out, and then it finally parts like a curtain to reveal a glowing sliver of the now. And you and the myriad both see, standing at the edge of a dock themselves, the cerulean waters of Three Hoof Lake, lapping at a distant shore, are Sitlali and Mercy. Both of them are garbed in these beautiful clothes that flow about their bodies in an unseen wind, their hands are clasped together, and they're gazing into each other's eyes with a kind of Soft and kind reverence. And looming out of the waters before them is Unmei herself, a massive water emissary. And behind this trio, we see the curling eaves of Unmei's temple and an excited looking shrine maiden being held back by a much less excited looking older priest. And Dewey, you watch as Unmei officiates a private closed wedding ceremony between the gold hearts. And you observe as their bond is made eternal. Ah, isn't that nice? True love and all that.
1: I'm glad they found each other.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, other people's love life is like free game, right?
1: Uh, I, I have a feeling you're gonna do it anyways. You're gonna comment on it anyways, so. Damn
0: right, you can't control me. I'm a demon. Besides, the Beyond is my stomping grounds, originally.
1: Fine, I'll play by your rules. I just have
0: one comment. I just have one comment. Really Uh seems like Mercy's growing out her hair for that ponytail to be yanked on.
1: Okay, please. (laughs) mm. (sighs) This on the day of their wedding.
0: Yeah, I think on that, like the mist swirls again, like the curtain like falls and then parts once more to reveal a new scene. And we see Vasanti on her knees, sifting through a plot of damp, dark earth. Vasanti is planting handfuls of seeds into this pliant loam. And we watch as she wipes a strand of sweat from her brow. And we see two rings glimmering upon her fingers. And next to her, Rev is digging a brand new plot of land nearby. And in the distance, bustling nearby, we see various citizens of Rosso uh, moving in and out of Vasanti's community garden, uh, taking what they need from the farm stands that are left out, lending a hand when they can. And Rev eventually puts down her shovel, and her you know muscles are covered in this light sheet of sweat, and she hands Vasanti a glass of cold water. Uh, which she eagerly accepts, and Vasati just sort of gung, 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 like gulps down. And Dewey, you watch as these two lovers talk in these low, kind of giggling tones, sharing like an inside joke with each other, while they're surrounded by this bustling, blooming community garden, molded with love and care by their own hands. You know, as an emissary of Sen, I always did appreciate the stewards of nature. The ones helping make things in our world change. From old to new, from new to old.
1: Did you did you ever think it was going to be Vasanti to do this sort of thing?
0: Absolutely the fuck not. No, this is yeah. a huge twist, yeah. Yeah. Uh, definitely not.
1: <laughs> oh, You should have met her when I did. I don't know. I'm proud of her.
0: Well, Cardu, who's to say I didn't meet her when you did? Remember our first meeting? Ugh, in the back room of that magic store. I remember. Vasanti set fire to some guy's house.
1: Okay, yeah.
0: Okay, so you get it. And I stalked you a little bit when you were on your way to the court. Don't remind me. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But I am proud of her. Look at the two of them. They belong together, don't you think? And Lotus, too. Do you think Rev is gonna grow out her hair again?
1: Are you gonna? Is this a purely you just concerned about her aesthetics, or is this gonna be another sex joke?
0: What? No, no, Cardu. What do you take me for? I've already made like two sex jokes already. I'm not gonna make a third. That's gauche.
1: Mm. I'm sure.
0: All right, all right. Next, uh, those myriad says <laughs> sort of waving a paw, and the curtain falls and then parts again. And upon it parting we see gentle strolling through the streets of Dabathati. And they're getting stopped like every two feet by a very grateful, starry-eyed citizen of the capital. But every time, Gentle's really nice about it, like really kind, really generous, actually lends an ear, lends a hand whenever they can. Uh, but they also always keep a hand open for Wu Ming, whose fingers are intertwined with theirs. And these two newly-minted partners are kind of walking side by side down this busy Dabatachi street. They're buying spicy kebabs from local vendors. They're checking out craft stores. They're investigating the latest tea blends in the capital. And hanging from their hips are a mask, each, carved in a kind of similar fashion to each other. And following a half-step behind both of them is Bud, who gets all the pets from everyone all the time. And Dewey, you watch as Gentle and Wu Ming both kind of reach down to pet Bud's head at the same time and their hands brush once more and their eyes lock on each other. And in the middle of this busy Dabathati street, they smile and Wu Ming leans in and Gentle leans in and they kiss. Wow, look at all of your friends getting busy.
1: Do you have to call it that, please? It was it was cute, and romantic.
0: Locking lips trading spit i still have to get my kicks out of these little pleasures these little torments cardew you have to abide me
1: no escape for me
0: (laughs) no escape from me indeed and the myriad actually throws out an arm and like puts it around your shoulders and pulls Mm -hmm. you close on that
1: and i think dewey sort of tilts his head towards the myriad and and, like rolls his eyes at the same time
0: Yeah, and the myriad sort of, like, cocks his big dog-like head to one side, and as he does, like, the curtain of mist falls again, and when it parts once more, uh, we see your business partner, Geron, sitting on the roof of the Tower of Risk and Reward, and above Geron's head, framed by their single still-remaining horn, is the night sky. And it's a dazzling canvas of stars and purple nebulae and galaxies. And next to him, we see Kane on one side and Oka on the other. And Geron's two lovers are leaning against either shoulder, and all three of them are just talking. They're just talking. Kane is giggling about the latest Rosso drama that they started. Uh, Oka is giving them all an update on Shepard, and Geron is talking about his school the Academy of Entropomancy. They talk about the students, uh, the best pupils, the ones that are kind of lagging behind, changes they want to make to the syllabus, the upcoming progress meeting that's kind of stressing them out uh, with the Greater Thielongan Board of Academic Ethics and Standards. And Kane at this point makes a kind of like sly remark about Oka pulling strings as Trueborn, and Oka kind of jabs back and all three of them laugh. (laughs) And, Dewey, you watch as their conversation just sort of winds into the evening, late, 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 until the very last of the stars vanish from the sky and Galtinger's rays begin to illuminate the horizon. You know, I'm with Kane on that. It's only cheating if you get caught. True in academic settings and romantic ones.
1: No, wait. <laughs> I take what? issue with that.
0: Really? Do you?
1: You know I do. You have to know I do.
0: I'm just kidding, Cardew. You know me. Mm. Loyal as a dog.
1: Rule follower. Mm,
0: I didn't say that. Mm-hmm. Mm-mm. Ah, you're the old ball and chain I can't get rid of, huh?
1: You're the one who bound yourself to me, so...
0: Shut up. Next! <laughs> and the beard very quickly, like, flicks a paw and whoosh, the curtain closes on that and the mist parts once more to reveal Bosca. Bosca is leaning against an old wet cypress tree in the depths of the Court of Ravens. The smell of river water, drenched soil, and moss is thick in the air. This cypress tree is the central monument within a swampy cemetery. It's an ancient old court Graveyard, with tombstones so eroded you can barely make out the names. Voska is not alone. To her left, we see Rev, and to her right, we see In Memoriam of the Lost. And these two old friends, separated by multiple degrees of life, death, rebirth, undeath, are making a tentative reconnection in the wake of the returning stars. And Dewey, you watch as Voska facilitates that reconnection, guiding these unsure old friends from word to word, helping them find the right phrases to say, the right strings to pull on, the right truths and feelings to honor. After all, Voska is Andake's famous Cupid. I'm sensing a common theme here with all of your friends. All yeah. this love stuff.
1: I don't know. Listen, I don't know who curates these tableaus uh, <laughs> from the beyond. I, I'm i not in control. I, I guess this is just what they're doing with their time.
0: Well, time is such a funny thing here. That's fair. <sighs> but it does make me feel kind of wistful. You know, if you were to gaze into a tableau of my past with all the people I've... Wronged. Uh, hello there, Revenant. Right, she can't hear me. It would be a lot less kissy-kissy, touchy-touch, feely-feel than this, and a lot more stabby-stab.
1: So, I guess this is, uh, being curated for me, obviously.
0: Well, yes, this is your Beyond Bubble.
1: So what are you doing here, huh? Well, you know what I'm doing here, Cardu. Don't make me say it. Uh, I have no idea. What's going on?
0: Oh. Uh... You know me, I'm so good at inflicting physical pain and he like pulls out a like sharp claw no, like don't. close to your face but you're so good at making me feel emotionally fraught, taunting and teasing me with what are you doing here, what are you doing here you know damn well what you do to me when you say that
1: um, <laughs> I think Dewey perhaps didn't expect this level of vulnerability and sort of um, turns a little bit red and focuses his gaze back on Vasco.
0: (laughs) And you see Vasco has like pulled out a flute and is like playing a tune as Rev and Mori like tentatively reach out a hand and like carefully touch fingers together right under Vasco's sort of administration and the myriad watches this so do you. There's like a moment of silence as the two of you just observe this coming together of old flames and Myriad sort of looks at you from one side of his, uh, from one side of his gaze. But you know me. I'm a sucker for pain. And the mist thickens and, like, wipes the scene away. And when the curtain parts once more, we see... Oka. Oka is crouched in the middle of a wasteland. Not just any wasteland. Tungle. A vast, gray, empty plain of desiccated grass stretches as far as the eye can see, and an equally empty, vast white sky bleeds eternally from horizon to horizon, a pale ghost of what an atmosphere used to be. But Oka isn't concerned with the long-dead sky or the long-dead earth. They're concerned with what's growing out of it. A flower. There is a single bright blue flower sprouting from the vacuous soil, poking through the surface like a dream too stubborn to die. And next to Oka, also crouching, is Shepherd, their black hair falling into their face, their blue and brown eyes wide with surprise. And Oka and Shepherd stare at the flower. Then look up and stare at each other, their faces breaking open with so many different emotions. Surprise? Joy? Relief? Shock? Hope? And Dewey, you watch as Oka and Shepherd confide these hopes in each other. You watch as they reach for one another, fingers intertwining, and you watch as, yes, they kiss, their embrace blessed by the presence of that bright blue bloom growing from the husk of this dead world. Well will you look at that. The paragon of change, ushering in a brand new change in the nature of that dead world. Who would have thought?
1: You know, you can call my bluff on this, but I I feel like this all... I didn't necessarily like see it all coming, but it feels right, you know? Feels (laughs) like it was... Meant to be. Okay, that's cheesy.
0: Oka did punch meant to be in the face.
1: (laughs) That also feels meant to be.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I don't know. I understand where you're coming from, Cardu. Watching this, watching them decide to set out on a brand new journey together. It feels right. Mm -hmm. You know? Just like us being here feels right or whatever. Emphasis on the whatever. Sure. Anyway, enough of the kissy-kiss. And the mirror flicks his wrist again and closes the curtain on Oka and Shepard embracing and kissing. And the fog parts once more on Quailheart. Quailheart, this hummingbird-like aracocra, is picking through the rubble of what used to be the Uhanahi Research Laboratory. Uh, and ever since the URL exploded, in no small part due to your actions, of course, Dewey, the strange magical storm that had surrounded Nawa Island this entire time had lifted. And now the sky is sunny and clear with warm beams of light hitting the white-capped waves just so to make them sparkle. And the salty breeze kind of ruffles Quailheart's long drooping feathers as he sort of like bustles over to a, you're not sure exactly what the structure is in the middle of the wreckage, and it takes you a minute to realize that it's a temple, question mark? And we see lore and scrummage at like the top of like a garbage pile, right? They're like sifting through it for resources and materials, and they're hastily repairing the walls of this temple, which are made of scavenged plastic. Like bits of rubber, some hosing, some piping, and basically just like garbage. Uh, but within this temple, there's a shrine made of a piece of paper that has been duct taped to a section of PVC piping, and there's a drawing on that paper, and that drawing is of you, and it's rendered in like a kind of like loving scrawl, as as loving as it can be, and at least you think it's you. It's you know, the scroll is in crayon and it's more green than it is blue. Uh, but based on the kind of blue smears around Scrum's mouth, you figure someone maybe ate what was left of the blue crayons, so the bone breakers had to make do with the colors they had left. Uh, sorry. Bloodstoppers. Uh oh, sorry. Marrow chewers. There are the marrow chewers now. And Dewey? You watch as Clayoheart. Bustles over, clutching a card between his feathered hands. And he gets Laura and Scrum to sign the inside of the card, and then very lovingly places it at the foot of this makeshift shrine. And we see scrawled on the front of the card, the words, Best friends forever. And there's a drawing of Quailheart, Laura, and Scrum holding hands with you.
1: I think at this, Dewey is just like, laughing in disbelief. Um, this one I did not see coming
0: yeah I we've never this has never shown us this is the first time I'm these fools
1: do know
0: <laughs> there's an official shrine multiple actually dedicated to you on Rangapuni Island and in Murasso right also you- in Kirtal like they didn't have to make this crappy little temple
1: are you putting down my fans work
0: are you <laughs> <laughs> pause as the myriad stares at you are you calling this art
1: cardu damn yeah. you have to be nice to them they're they're my friends
0: what not you i don't think you ever called koi Hart and the marrow chewers your friends while you were alive in my defense mm. you seem rather annoyed by them but i suppose in death everyone does seem kind of nice
1: it's uh... Being able to watch them like this sort of changes your mind on them.
0: Ah, uh, they are fools, but they're your fools.
1: They made my beak way too big.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, the myriad also leads in and squints and says, You know, you're setting me up for another dirty joke.
1: No. God, yeah. <laughs>
0: God. And then the mystic. Mist thickens again. And then it parts as the myriad is like cackling and howling with laughter. And we see in the fog Abiku sitting on a wooden bleacher. And next to Abiku is her wife Shrini. And Shrini is holding Abiku's hand, and both of them are like, they look really nervous and excited. And they're in the middle of cheering and cheering and cheering. And we pan across to see who they're cheering for, and it's Hana and Hannah is standing on a square of laminated flooring, and her hair is pulled up in this like very professional, like no-nonsense ponytail that's making her look very much like her mother. And she's staring down with this really intense and focused look on her face, and she's wearing a singlet, with a huge chalk-dusted belt around her waist. And her hands are also stained with chalk, and these veins are, like, popping out on the backs of her hands. And at her feet is an iron barbell with huge weights stacked onto either end, like so many plates, like an incredible amount of plates. And Hana takes a deep breath in, bends down, grabs the bar with both hands, and lifts it in a single motion and veins pop out on the sides of her neck and her face turns red and her legs shake. And then she like walks out at the very top of the motion and holds it for a beat until the judges sitting at the table uh, give a signal and she lowers it carefully back onto the ground. And where the weights land again, it like shakes the ground and the platform like an earthquake, like that's how heavy it is. And then three green lights blink on a board and she jumps up into the air, like eight feet into the air and she's like cheering and cheering and punching the air going, Yes, yes, yes! And Abiku and Shrini also jump up into the air, they're clapping and shouting and cheering, and Dewey, you watch as your daughter breaks an Endaken powerlifting world record at the spry young age of 18, and rushing forward from the stands, unable to contain their excitement, is Dusty. And Dusty's hair has grown out a bit, though it's still dark and curly as ever. And they barrel into Hana, and they're hugging her around her waist and jumping up and down with excitement. And Abiku and Shrini also hurry down the bleachers along with Uilani, And you watch as this little family that you had given your blessing to gathers around, hugging and laughing and crying. Wow. I think your daughter could have kicked your ass if you were still around.
1: Most definitely. Uh, I wish I could be there. For her to kick my ass, you know?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Hey. For what it's worth, I think your memory is what makes her strong.
1: I hope so. I hope... Maybe that serves her better than me actually being there.
0: Hey... And the myriad leans in and actually like puts a hand on your knee and like looks at you seriously, like away from this veil. Hey, Cardu, what do we say about that kind of negative self-talk? It's only sexy if I do it to you, not if
1: you do it to yourself. This is, no. (laughs) (laughs) And he he, like gives the myriad a little bit of a playful slap.
0: I'm glad and as happy as a demon can be that this is the way things shook out and it was what needed to happen Cardew but, but I'm sure she misses you all of them miss you you can feel it can't you I think so she's a good kid he's a good kid too they're all good kids I mean I'm a timeless demon etc etc they're all good kids. <laughs> They're fine and good with the family they do have in the now. They would've been fine and good with you if you'd survived. Both are true, I think. I think so. And hey, what matters isn't what could've been. It's what did. And what we're doing about it now, eh?
1: In that record. That matters. Oh my gosh, I'm so proud.
0: Yeah! I mean, 2,000 pounds. You sure it wasn't assisted? You sure that belt isn't some kind of invention? You're sure she's not cheating?
1: I didn't make it. I don't know.
0: <laughs> oh, look, it's changing again. And the myriad leans in and like the mist thickens. And then it parts to reveal Hana operating a buzzsaw. And the myriad kind of leans in over the world the bzzz, and goes, Maybe we're watching her cheat her way into winning that world record, <laughs> huh? And... <laughs> Hana's wearing a sturdy face shield, uh, these thick leather gloves, and a heavy apron. And she's moving, like, a length of wood down the blade of the saw, and these, like, wooden chips and dust is flying through the air. And then the door to her workshop opens, and in comes Tonga. And Hana senses Tonga entering and, like, stops operating the buzz saw and the big whirp dies sound, And Hana turns around, kind of flicks up her face shield, and smiles and waves as Tonga approaches. And Tonga examines Hana's work, sort of, like, nodding here and there, like, looking very impressed at whatever she's creating. And you watch as your old friend uh, claps your daughter on the shoulder and gives her some notes, some places where the work can improve, some places where it's already perfect. And Hana nods very seriously and studiously and is, like, jotting the notes down on a pad by her workbench. And then someone else comes into the workshop. And both Tonga and Hana turn around, and they greet Ulani with these big smiles. And uulani also has an apron on, though it's of the culinary variety, and she's beckoning her two loved ones in for dinner. And Hana very quickly and excitedly takes off her gloves, her apron, her helmet, really excited to eat, as Tonga approaches uulani with a grateful smile. And Dewey, you watch as the two women kiss, and they intertwine their hands together. And upon their fingers we see matching glittering rings.
1: This is not how I expected that to go.
0: Yeah, I I feel like we missed I think we uh-huh. missed a couple of scenes between uh-huh. the last time we checked in and, and huh. You know, I, I bet they both say this is what Dewey would have wanted. You know, for them to be happy, aren't you uh-huh. happy for them, Dewey?
1: No, I am. I, I'm glad it worked out. Um, for their sakes, perhaps it's best they don't mention me, in the, uh, in the context of their marriage.
0: What does that mean? are I, you? I don't in know. The context I, of their marriage.
1: I don't. I'm just gonna let them have this.
0: <laughs> well. They both did love you, and I think they both still do. That's definitely at least one thing they have in common. Mm. Speaking of loved you and still loves you, and the Myriad sort of nods at the scene as we see like these three women like go to the dinner table where we see they have a special guest that they've invited over, Zephyr. And Zephyr. <laughs> Zephyr is sitting at the table like nodding and sort of like helping to like set the table and they all sit down and Zephyr nods, right, like very astutely and very like professionally and kindly, almost a little stiffly, but like Hanna sort of claps him on the back and he goes, <gasps> and like they all start eating together.
1: And will you look at that? Now this is a little bit strange.
0: <laughs> I wonder if they have a book club or something.
1: Oh my gosh. That might be cute.
0: <laughs> Maybe that's what it is. Book Club for people who once loved Dewey Quirk and still oh. do. That's everyone we've seen so far.
1: I'm glad they're they've all found their people.
0: Yeah. Hey. Cheer up. And the myriad sort of like moves his like hand from your knee to like to your back again and like pats you. Not like kinda hard like he does sometimes, but like kinda gently even. He'll be here soon. You know, soon being relative and all that.
1: Sure. What? I don't even know how long we've been here.
0: Well, I know we've been here longer than ever.
1: I'm happy to stay here for a while longer, I guess.
0: Yeah, however long we both need Mm -hmm. till you're ready. And Dewey, time does pass here in the beyond. At least you think it does. Like I said, time is a funny thing when you're dead, but you're pretty sure it passes. And as it does, one by one, just like the myriad reassured you as would happen, your friends come home. You greet them with an easy familiarity, and their faces all light up when they see you, like no time has passed at all since the last time you were together. And Dewey, tell me, How do you usher your friends into the beyond?
1: It's like you said, like he's been waiting a thousand years and at the same time, like no time has passed. Um, It's easy. It's familiar. He brings them into the house. uh, He serves them up uh, a bowl of soup he's cooked every time. And it's like, It's like when you visit your parents' house, and they're always just happy to see you, and every time he says, you know, stay as long as you want. And
0: over time, the deck gets more and more crowded, and the myriad helps you build it out to be bigger, to hold more people, to sustain all the love and friendship that comes to join you as time goes on and on and on. And then... In the middle of all of this, or perhaps before all of this, or after all of this. Remember, time is such a funny thing here. The mist parts once again to show you, Dewey, another sliver of the now. Dusty is sitting on the front porch of Shepherd's homestead. He's alone out here, but not lonely. He's gathered his knees close to his chest, and he's leaning against the back of the stairs. He's gazing up at the night sky, the millions and millions of bright, bright stars reflected in his own dark eyes. And Dewey, you watch, and you listen, as your child whispers a prayer up at you. Hey, uh... Dad I I don't know if you can hear me or see me or are even aware of me because you're gone now and all that, but I just wanted to say I'm doing it I'm living a life like you wanted me to I'm making friends and making mistakes and making art and making all kinds of things Vaska taught me how to write songs. I wrote one, it's not very good, and I'm not a very good singer. Uh, but I'm getting there, I think. And I made some progress on my sword training. Oka's been great about that. And Sitlali was also pretty great about that. I've been going to school. Two schools. Double the school. Uh, Abiku and Shrin'i's school about Titan stuff, and Juran's school about entropomancy, though I, I don't really understand half of what they're saying all the time. Gentle taught me how to make food, how to cook. I know how to make pasta and rice now. Also beans, all kinds of beans. Black beans, green beans, pinto beans, red beans, skull beans, you know, skull beans from the court. Yeah, that's a thing. Vasanti taught me about beans, too. Mostly how to plant them and grow them and stuff. And Shepherd, Shepherd teaches me all sorts of things. I think they know everything. They're really cool. I miss you. I wish you were here. I still cry about you. But not in a bad way. In a good way, I think. And if you're watching, uh, if you're listening, if you can see this or feel this or sense this or whatever, um, then I want you to know something, Dad. I want you to know that... I'm okay. And thank you. And... I love
1: you. I love you too. Dewey reaches out. A hand towards... This scene that he can't quite touch.
0: As you reach out a hand, we push into Dusty's perspective as he's looking up at the night sky and as soon as you reach out that feathered hand, a shooting star crosses over the night sky and Dusty sort of blinks up, his eyes full of tears that don't quite fall. And as that shooting star crests across the atmosphere so bright and then disappears against the western horizon, he... and when he raises his eyes back up to the stars we see that those tears have fallen are dribbling down his cheeks and we fade to black on that scene of dusty looking up tears running down his face of you on the other side of that veil in the beyond reaching out to your child and then we cut back to the porch yes back on Shepard's porch, there is a noise, a whisking, swirling noise, like a rift tearing open in the fabric of a cosmic ocean. And Dusty, startled, like sniffles, wipes his face, and, and stands up very quickly, eyes going wide as he whirls around and stares at a person stepping through a portal, through a rift. And that person says, Dusty, we need you.